if something happens to your body where there's a healing process, your fluids is what allows healing to happen. It solidifies or it becomes gelatinous or it becomes more streaming depending on what's needed at any given time. If you harden something in the body too much, it's going to be a compromise. When I was in the early phases of yoga, I was incredibly dynamic about it in my late 20s, early 30s. And I was constantly just tending to little injuries that I would get through the practice. And at that time, I thought that I just had to work through this discomfort. And the continuum of yoga is not about that. It's about really listening to the wisdom of the body. And when you start to listen, you begin to trust its fluid nature. Welcome to This Thing Called Movement, a podcast exploring our relationship to movement and how it impacts every other aspect of our lives. I'm your host, Marie Janicek, movement guide and co-founder of Evolna, an intuitive movement lifestyle company, helping people create a more fulfilling relationship to their body and self. Through my work in the fields of dance and fitness, I've always been deeply connected to movement and fascinated by how it shapes us. Join me as I dive into conversations with esteemed professionals from a variety of fields and backgrounds. Together, we'll gain insight into their personal movement experiences, the transformations that resulted, and how movement has affected their lives at large. I hope this podcast inspires and empowers you to create a more authentic relationship with your body as you experience the tremendous ripple effect movement can have on all other facets of your life. New episodes will be released on Friday mornings every other week. In the meantime, enjoy. Our bodies are made up of 70% water. Yet by and large, we do not encourage movement practices that cultivate that natural fluidity. Bobby Ellis joins us today for a very special episode in which we discuss the nexus of how fluid motion, sensation, and intuition all work together to create coherent alignment in our bodies and minds from the inside out. Bobby has spent the last 37 years of her life devoted to understanding and connecting with the wisdom of the body. She is an esteemed teacher of Continuum Yoga and one of the founding members of the Continuum Teachers Association. She has shared and presented her work through prestigious organizations such as Omega Institute, Kripalu Center, Esalen Institute, and many more. With Bobby's vast knowledge, we were able to dig deeply into several topics that are so close to my heart, including the importance of embracing softening in the body and how it is crucial to supporting our health the links between internal bodily sensations and how they help foster our intuition. And finally, how when we take the time to connect with ourselves, we create positive changes in the world around us. We hope you find this discussion as revelatory and nourishing as we did. So without further ado, let's tune in. Hello and Thank you so much for coming on to the show with us today, Bobby. I am so excited to dig into your work together. I am too, Marie. Thank you so much for inviting me. So let's dive right in. 
Tell us your story. Where did your movement journey begin and how did it lead you into the work you're doing today? Well, you know, I remember watching old films of myself when I was just a little girl, probably seven or eight, sitting on the couch. And I recall being so involved in just watching my toes move. And that led to being 17 and traveling from where I still live in New Jersey to New York to study acting, dance, theatrical makeup, and pantomime in New York City at a place called HB Studio. And also I um, studied privately there. And that opened up a world for me around being in my body with my body, although it was a little bit more performance-based. And I landed in a yoga class in HB Studio because I was having some anxiety about performance. And that was really my first taste of what yoga could actually do for me. And that led into giving birth to my son, Lee. It started a journey of self-discovery through many avenues of yoga and movement. And then when I was in a ski trip with my son, I had a very bad accident of which I was paralyzed on one side. And I was seeking out movement modalities that could help me. And I heard about Continuum with Emily Conrad for many, many years. But for whatever reason, I didn't make it to her class for whatever reason that was, right? Yeah. (laughs) And then once I had this skiing accident and had some compromises after I started the healing journey, I landed in a retreat with Emily Conrad and have never looked back since. That was Mm -hmm. when I really started to know what it felt like to be at home in my body. Mm. Wow. So can you describe for us in a little more detail, what is the continuum of yoga? Because we're all familiar with yoga in the modern world today um, between, you know, vinyasa or Bikram. So what differentiates this type of yoga from the forms that we are familiar with? Well, there's a couple of elements that I offer in continuum with yoga. So instead of Uh, working within a posture, let's say, the posture becomes a container to explore more deeply the movements from the inside out. uh, Continuum uses sound play. We use many, 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 many different textures of sound to start to stimulate the inner body, which is, by the way, mostly water. So we start to sense and feel the movements of that water once it's less constrained through doing vibration and sound. Then we start to motivate and track that fluid movement to create movements that are more resonant to the human body. Right? So that we use uh, yoga as a beautiful container to start to more deeply explore the now moments of movement that are happening in each breath, in each wave of something changing, of something that may be happening for you that's very personal. So it, it, it starts to get away from movement that is cued from the outside and starts to look at movements that are wave-like, spirillic, more like what the body is made of, 
which is mostly water. We're made of 70% water, right? And you stimulate those fluids to more deeply inhabit what it is that this thing we call a body is actually made of, right? And, and we start with very, very simple things. And then the, the map is the, the, the sound, perhaps a starting point in some sort of a shape, which we might call a yoga posture. And then the student or the person who's practicing the continuum of yoga starts to more deeply explore within their own experience. So that's the territory, right? So there, so there is a time in a continuum of yoga class where nothing is being led by me. You're left to be with yourself for a little while to start to really track what is happening and how do I start to follow that to create movement that really matters in my body from this intrinsic moment to moment sensing and feeling state. And that is something that connects us not only with ourselves, but the planet and everything else around us, which was one of the foundational teachings of yoga is we are not separate, but a part of all things. So this gives us an opportunity to actually experience that. It's not just a thought. It's an experience. We feel more connected because we are fluid beings. The planet is a fluid planet. The galaxy is made of different fluids. So we're connecting to that movement of life, which brings about a sense of uh, continual renewal. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. My brain is exploding right now because there's so many pieces of this I'm so excited to dig into. But the first thing, you know, this this continual point you keep referencing, the body being made up of 70% water and how our bodies actually have this fluid motion within them that we are rarely tapping into. And this inherent fluidity of movement and life force working its way through us is really the seat of our healing. It's the seat of our renewal and replenishment. And I just think about how often we think of our bodies as so dense you know, I, I know as a trainer in, in my in my career, working with people in one-on-ones and even in like more of a fitness setting, it was all very hard and harsh, right? Even the mental focus of where people are trying to guide their bodies, it's about creating more stiffness and, and actually creating more of that hard, powerful, like rock-like tone in the tissue, which there's nothing wrong with that, but it's a really interesting flip in perspective. Instead of trying to make our bodies so hard, recognize that we are actually fluid beings. We are meant to tap into this inherent instinctual wave of ever continuous change. And when we learn to embrace that, we access something so much more powerful, so much more fulfilling, so much more resourceful than when we're trying to harden our bodies through some of these more popular methods. Absolutely. You know, when we when we can be with ourselves in the way that you're talking about so beautifully, we realize that the fluid nature of us is a wisdom place in and of itself. If you think about if you if something happens to your body where there's a healing process, 
your fluids is what allows healing to happen, right? It, it, it solidifies or it becomes gelatinous or it becomes more streaming depending on what's needed at any given time. So if you, if you harden something in the body too much, it's going to be a compromise. There's going to be ways that your body is going to be starting to have little tiny injuries. When I was in the early phases of yoga, I was incredibly dynamic about it in my late 20s, early 30s. And I was constantly just tending to little injuries that I would get through the practice. And at that time, I thought that I just had to work through this discomfort. And the continuum of yoga is not about that. It's about really listening to the wisdom of the body. And when you start to listen, you begin to trust its fluid nature. Because just like, like we're in a pandemic right now, there's not that many people out in the world. And the environment is starting to more deeply heal from the human footprints. And so when we start to let the body have its own way in its nature, meaning more fluid, we start to feel better. The health naturally rises out of that state of fluidity, right? And we have to look at fluid movement as strength because it is part of who we are. My sense of very solidified forms of exercise is rooted in military training. We really have to see the roots of where these things have come from, right? So I I don't know about you, but I don't have any plans of being a soldier. <laughs> I certainly don't. <laughs> right? I want to really feel my life a little bit more deeply. And it takes courage. Mm -hmm. It really does take courage to continue to disrobe the cultural norm in what it means to exercise. Yeah. And also I've noticed there's such a fear around softness in the body. And it's interesting because in my personal experience, you know, having sort of run down all these extremes with my dance practice where, you know, you have all sorts of body image expectations and like disorders that come along with that. That also is more like hard body focused. And then same thing, even in fitness and the personal training world, you know, that that continues to be formed in that direction. But when I stepped away from both of these practices and actually took more time to like soften into my body, relax, not push it as much, and, and do more of what you're describing in the continuum of yoga practice, which was like listening, softening, receiving, moving gently with myself, really being you know, nuanced in, in my discernment of what was coming through those impulses and signals. You know, I was so surprised when after sort of putting aside all my other more intensive and dynamic movement practices. After a year, I came back and sort of tried, you know, working with kettlebells and some of these other forms that I'd put down. And not only did I not lose the strength and mobility I already had, it was actually better. And, and there was this fascinating flip of how when I'd slowed down and actually connected with my body in that really deep way and I surrendered to its wisdom and I didn't push and force myself, I was actually so much better equipped to be able to perform, to be able to express, to be able to do these things that 
historically, I'd had to put so much effort in. And like you mentioned, at great cost, whether it was my nutrition, whether it was, you know, my sleep and my rest and my recovery, and then it was creating injuries and all sorts of physical issues. Yes, exactly. You know, when we start to really realize how valuable that way of being is, anything that we do, we can optimize through this lens, right? So it's not like an either or model, right? Like I teach people how to get strong. I I work with a population of people who are of the age between 70 and 90. And I am teaching them how to continue to be mobile, to be flexible, to be um, inherently healthy, and movement that's coherent. I think that's what we're both, you know, looking towards is the coherency of movement from that intrinsic place, rather than just having everything outward be put upon you. The movement is coming from the inside out rather than the outside in, a very different journey, but really necessary. It's almost, it makes me think of dogs, cats. I've always had dogs and my dog will get really, you know, beefed up if she has to do something that requires that. But if she doesn't have to do it, her belly is soft, her muscles are mushy, she's just sensitively relaxed, right? And when we work out or train in a certain way where we just keep solidifying ourselves, we lose the capacity to actually soften. So dynamically, a really healthy experience in a body is to be able to access something that feels like strength when you need it and to be able to relax and let go and be very flexible when you don't, right? So it's like that expansion and contraction model, right? I can expand and I can contract when necessary. And so much of the science that's, you know, devoted to looking at how our muscles actually function and how to optimize strength actually shows us that true strength is developed from a muscle that can experience both of these ranges. And in fact, a muscle that's hyperactive and being activated too much loses its capacity to be able to relax and by default loses its optimum strength. You know, our bodies were not designed to be to like generate that level of tension and hold on to it all the time. In fact, it was all about (laughs) efficiency. So when something wasn't happening, how relaxed and how little energy could you use? The whole system is optimized for that. You know, it's the fascinating thing about fascia. It's this internal rubber band system that essentially propels you through space so your muscles don't have to. And your muscles are really there for those crucial moments, you know, historically when something happened and you needed to move fast and and generate that power to survive but we're not designed to live in that state. And so in this day and age, when our relationship with movement has really dramatically shifted from where we evolved, we have to take into considerations all of these mechanisms and 
also understand their relevance to our mental and emotional health at the same time, right? That hardness of the body we're talking about here, this does translate very directly into stress, anxiety, and, and all these other mental disorders and dysfunctions we're learning how to combat, especially in the time of quarantine. Absolutely. You know, that brings me to another uh, deep element of uh, the continuum of yoga, which is breathing. So breathing is the model of expansion and contraction. It's right there in your system all the time, right? It, that's the image of what you want throughout your whole body. And we have to remember that the body is made of spiraling water. Each muscle group is spiraled water into a shape for its specific function, right? And each muscle fiber is spiraled coils packed together. So if we think of ourselves like that, if we start to consider what that is inside of us, we're going to start to move differently just from that connection Yes. of creation, like what we have been made from when we were just cells right? Just we're cells spiraling in water for a number of days before the embryo starts to form inside the uterus of the mother. And we still have access to that dynamic renewing capacity if we think about movement in the way that we're talking about it today. So we have to, I believe many, 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 many moons ago, Yoga was like that. People were in a an inquiry with themselves. And because way back then, they didn't really have much science, they spiritualized every experience that they had, right? Makes, makes sense. That's where they were, right? So every experience that a yogi would have, they would start to spiritualize it and then became people who wanted to codify systems in yoga. You have Iyengar, you have Bikram yoga, you have all different kinds of yoga. But the, the root of yoga is really about being with oneself and seeing where we can create movement so that we have freedom in our energy, right? So that we can sit quietly in meditation and our body is not bothering us so much. I mean, that was the whole idea in, in yoga. And continuum is similar to that, to get the body in a state of flow, in a, in a real state of full experience. And then you just feel better and nothing is really pulling at you so that you can sit quietly with yourself and really experience the quality and beauty of life itself. That is so beautiful. And I'm just getting so many chills, like stepping into that place mentally. And, you know, one of the things I really love about what you're describing about this practice is it's not always the outside in, like so much of this is really rooted in inside out. This is one of my personal obsessions with my work, um, something I noticed as a dancer and noticed significant gaps in in the fitness industry, this sort of disconnect between learning to listen to the signals of our body, fostering a connection with that. And I'm really curious to learn a little bit more about what are some of the guiding principles you use to help people access that? I, I mean, for me, a big one is sensation. You know, I, I talk about it as a language of the body. I know you do too. So I would love to learn a little bit more about 
how sensation plays into tapping into that messaging system that we have going on between our bodies and ourselves. Absolutely. That's a really great question. Well, the at, at the heart of the continuum of yoga is inquiry, right? So we're always inquiring about what is happening, what is going on in the present moment. So it's a direct experience of yourself, first of all. Primarily, how I usually start to work with someone who doesn't have this kind of experience is to get them in touch with the movement of gravity. Gravity is an alive experience with you and the, and the planet. And it has a quality of sensation to it. it. It draws you down. It spreads out. And there's new science now that says that gravity is actually wave motion. So if you, you stay with it a little bit longer, and I have little practices that help people to do that, it allows you to start to grow in the capacity to, first of all, feel sensation, okay? And then be able to track how your body is experiencing gravity. There's also the gravity reaction force that when you're really in touch with that downspread wave motion, you start to feel something coming up into your body from the earth. That's an incredible aligning, renewing, self-regulating thing that is something that we don't really pay attention to. And many times we walk around with our shoulders up and our feet slightly off the ground, thinking our way through our lives rather than really using the wisdom of the body to create movement that will just ease us through our experiences ongoingly. So that's the first place I usually start. I usually invite sound and the sounds in continuum can be very simple to very interestingly complex, right? And when someone starts to take a sound, like for example, if I use the sound of O, so you would just take a nice deep breath in, make a very elongated sound of O through your mouth, but you're taking the sound and trying to fold it into your body rather than sing it outward. And it's just a little bit of a learning curve for people. And then following the sense of vibration in yourself. And I always start with where the sound is being made, which is the vocal box. How far from the vocal box can you feel vibration as you do the sound. And when you keep layering certain things in continuum, the body becomes more mutable, it becomes more pliable, it becomes more receptive to the vibration of sound. So then sound starts to travel. So it's not so local by the vocal box, you can feel it in your feet. You can feel it at the base of the pelvis. You can feel it in your sacrum, right? You can feel it in your organs. It's amazing if you work with it. And vibration is something that a lot of people use in health industries, let's say, like for example, if there's, uh, if you use ultrasound, that's a very, very low level vibration that breaks up density in muscle. You're, you're, you're putting it on a muscle and it breaks up density in mass. You have sound with you your whole life because you have a voice. So making sound and dropping sound into the body makes so much sense to me to start to open to its own fluidity. So then it opens up pathways to start to sense and feel the fluid movement of what's happening. And then outer movements will start to happen. So anywhere from a micro movement that's 
almost unperceivable to someone who would be looking at you to quite dynamic. It can go anywhere, right? And it just depends on what you're experiencing at the time. Now, there are two ways to look at movement in the continuum of yoga. One way is I'm moving myself. So in other words, I'm lifting my arm and I'm taking it up and I'm taking it out, right? That's one way of moving. Another way of movement is to feel fluid movement and following it like you're participating as if it's your dance partner. And so you're moving from a different place, right? It's not so much muscle skeletal as much as it is fluid. And what's really wonderful about moving from the fluid nature of yourself is fluid is never damaged. Like if you cut a knife through a running water, it just comes right back together again. So it's a cohesiveness. It just keeps going, moving through you. And the only way that it can get blocked up is it starts to solidify. It's almost if you're walking in the, in the woods, right, and you walk past a little pond and it's been sitting there without much movement, right? It starts to grow things. It starts to smell funny, right? <laughs> yeah. It's not, it doesn't have a lot life to it anymore, right? It yeah. becomes a little stagnant. The same thing if the fluid in the body is too stagnant, it's not going to have the health and well-being of its own nature, which is wave motion, spiraling, dripping, dropping spreading, right? So if we start to shift the context of what we're doing in our movements and from where, that's really what the nature of the continuum of yoga is about. Yeah, I love that metaphor to help us like really understand this, the the pond that becomes a swamp, <laughs> you know, and sort of like becomes stagnant and putrid because of that lack of movement and how like this is really happening in our bodies all the time. I remember seeing a physical therapist back in New York whose main focus was paying attention to the lymphatic system. So if he was going to do any manual manipulations on you, he was first checking to see how is the water moving in your body? Where is it not moving? Because if I don't move the water, if that's not moving, then it doesn't matter what electrical stimulus we put through the neuromuscular system. It doesn't matter how I manipulate your muscles. Your muscles are living within water. If that water isn't moving, then we didn't do anything. That's exactly right. Exactly right. And 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 so when you spoke earlier about that kind of hard-bodied way, right, that's what happens. The The connective tissue, the fluid around things starts to get less mobile because it's impeded upon by this building of muscle. And by the way, when you build a muscle, it is through scar tissue. There's no other way. The, bo- the, the muscle will build only through injury. A muscle doesn't just plump up by itself. It needs enough stimuli that it's going to have tears so that it builds scar tissue. And that's why a lot of people who do a lot of bodybuilding, they have a lot of pain. They, they walk around sore all the time because the muscles are being worked on so much that the, you know, the body starts to create scar tissue. And then the scar tissue is what bulks everything up. And, and so this is what we really need to see in, in weight training. Now, I'm not opposed to lifting a weight. 
by no means. I think it's it's a nice thing to do, but it's the how and how much and where's the line of self-regulation. I think that we're really talking about that is self-regulating, like what what is just enough? What's too much? What's not enough? And that changes moment to moment to moment, day to day to day. So con- the continuum of yoga is not so goal-oriented. Like we're not looking at some goal to meet. We're looking at direct experience, which is a process of creativity and inquiry. And to be really super curious about whatever it is that starts to emerge. And you're starting to use a part of the brain that pays attention. But it's not really making things something specific, right? So we start to consider... Just being in an inquiry of sensation has nothing to do with trying to explain it in your mind cognitively. Because I think that as a culture, we've reached a bit of a cognitive ceiling and we have to, we have to go back down and find something else that we can live from to feel holistic again, right? Because everybody uh, is starting to work through everything in their lives through their thinking brain, right? Now, there's nothing wrong with thinking. I think it's a divine expression, but it's limited. And it can limit how you are in your body. 100%. (laughs) So we're starting to take the attention part of the mind and use it in a way that starts to create a beautiful practice of awakening. And that's the in, I-N, powerment. So you're empowered, you feel a sense of power from that fluid state of expression. It's, it's quite beautiful. I love what you said about, you know, where we are at in like our cognitive, intellectualized thinking patterns. Because, you know, for me, this was one of my biggest revelations is we're so busy trying to solve problems through our thinking without really connecting to what we're feeling and what's actually going on in our experience. And when we're busy finding these solutions through our rational analytical mind, we're actually bypassing this most important component, which is where am I? Who am I? What am I needing? Like what's going on for me? And Truthfully, I think our minds are at their best when we've taken time to connect with and resource our body and our relationship to that first. Like you're mentioning, when we really take that time to tune in to what we feel and we allow ourselves time and space to connect with that, to really enrich that, to embolden that. We empower ourselves. We empower ourselves, like you mentioned. And from that place, our thinking analytical minds are so much sharper. They are able to attune to new levels of discernment, and we become so much more efficient and effective in our day-to-day. And most importantly, by resourcing this connection with our body and really feeding our needs this way and, and devoting ourselves to ourselves, we are more fulfilled in the things we do, right? Because 
taking that time to fill our cup first. And when you're locked in the thinking analysis processing model without connecting back to you, your body, your feeling, your core, you are not necessarily making decisions that that help you service that fulfillment. But if you service that first, it allows everything else to click into place, to have more coherence, right? Coherence in the body creates coherence in the mind, and then by extension, creates more coherence in our life. Right. And coherence in the world. Yes. Really, if we yes. want to take it that far. And that brings me to talk a little bit about um, the continuum of yoga and the nervous system. So when we, first of all, when you do sound and you're extending the sound, it's always on exhaling. So the exhalation is governed by the parasympathetic nervous system, which is calm. I feel safe. I can totally relax here because there's no danger. So the sympathetic nervous system starts to drop back a little bit. And then you start to have a state of calm where oxytocin, which is a beautiful hormone, gets released into your body. That's the hormone of love. Not love that you can feel for another, not only love that you can feel for another, but actually the quality state and experience of love. And if, if more of us would take the time and commit to something like that, this is where the world would start to shift a little bit because we would no longer have the need to fight or be on high alert. We have a safety within ourselves in a certain way. So the parasympathetic nervous system is rarely stimulated anymore in a lot of modern exercise, even yoga, some yoga practices do not spend time really being on the meditation, uh, shavasana, relaxation side of things. There's a lot of activity in the practice. And what it does is it just keeps stimulating what someone who's already been stimulated all day to continue that stimulation, right? So how do we stay where we're getting enough stimulation for the sympathetic nervous system that we don't fall asleep. How do we keep the parasympathetic nervous system underlying everything that we're doing so that we have this calm state of trust? Because when you have a a state of love, you're in complete and utter trust. And that comes from, from someone on the inside. Like there are certain circumstances that can make us feel safe, but the safety of an experience for yourself really does come from your nervous system. Yeah, learning to cultivate these primary energy states or emotions from within ourselves, these these places that are really so essential to fostering our health, our vitality, our well-being, that sense of safety, that sense of trust, that sense of love. You know, in this day and age, when we've been so severed from that, you know, overstressing our parasympathetic fight or flight system, never really taking time to connect to the parasympathetic. You know, we actually have to cultivate practices and practice these states because I notice so many people are just waiting for the happiness to happen, waiting for that sense of trust or 
expecting it to come from an external circumstance or person or situation. But the problem with that is, is if you're not actually prepping your neurocircuitry for that, if you're not learning how to live in that and and devoting yourself to feeling that on a consistent basis, even if that circumstance were to drop into your life, you would flip past it so fast before you went right back into that stressed and anxious state. Right, because your nervous system loves patterns. Yeah. So if you're in a pattern of anxiety, let's say, and that's the pattern that your nervous system is is um, used to, let's say you've been anxious most of your life, right? Once you start to come to a state where you're not anxious anymore, that state has to have uh, tending. So you have to you have to tend to it regularly. It's almost like you want you're 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 planting a new garden in yourself. And if you don't water and do the right things in that garden, it's just going to go back to the way it was, right? And you'll always have the option of anxiety. Anxiety is really different levels of fear. So, and we're living in a very scary world right now, so it makes sense that anxiety would go up. And yet this is a real opportunity for us as humans to more deeply take on practices like we're talking about today, ones that can regulate us from the inside out. And it's, a, and it's an investment. It's not, it's not a very quick fix. It's an investment every day meeting yourself there and seeing how you can tend to the garden of safety, the garden of really trusting your own experiences really using your mind a little bit differently to really pay attention to something that's more subtle. It, 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 it takes an investment. And I can't I, lie. And I mean, I don't know about you, but I personally, like when negotiating this shift in perspective, the shift in relationship with our bodies, the shift in attention, there's, there's a lot of fears or blocks that come up for people. And I'm curious if you've noticed that as well, when people first begin this kind of practice, when they first enter into the continuum of yoga, what are some of the common, I guess, limitations or points of discomfort that come up for people? And what advice do you give to help them just drop into this state a little deeper and really facilitate that sense of safety and trust within the process? Well, there's there's a lot of levels of which I would work, and I'll just mention a few here. So a lot of times when someone starts to consider working like this, they come up against, what am I supposed to be doing? So they'll, I'll offer them something to try, and they get fixated on the how to do it rather than the um, the outcome of their experience from doing it. So it's two different things. And we live in a society that, you know, we want to get it right. And if and and we're being told what to do in the movement world a lot. So it's about shifting, wanting to get exactly something specific to do from a teacher rather than doing something that they're offering you, playing with it a little bit in a field of experience that you're connecting with and then seeing what the outcome is. What am I, what starts to resonate inside of me from this offering from this person that's giving me this suggestion? 
So it's a shift. And sometimes people come up against that question. What am I supposed to be doing here? So I ask the question, what do you notice? So it shifts, what am I supposed to do to what am I noticing? So it shifts them back into tracking themselves again. And they can ask that question a thousand times. If they keep coming up with what am I supposed to do, I often suggest that they do more sound play and really track vibration because it gives them something to do. It gives them a way to start to pay attention. So there's all these little antidotes to those kinds of things. Now, if someone comes to me and they've had a, a larger level of trauma in the background, they no longer feel safe in their body for whatever reason. And that's a different place of, of, of support. So usually if I work with someone and that starts to become apparent to me and them, I would suggest more working one-on-one. I do work one-on-one -on -one with people and we really slow everything down so that they get to grow in that capacity to care and trust themselves again, where they must have gotten a little bit of disconnect for whatever reason. So there is that place that we have to be very sensitive to when we do come into the body, if we have had things in our past that didn't feel so good physically, whatever they are, and then we have to meet ourselves again and, and start to repair the connection to ourselves. And it happens in direct experience, right? Because when someone has had injury or trauma, th their, their, their nervous system is on high alert. They're always tracking, am I safe? And it brings a hypervigilance into the system that they don't know how to let go of because that was their survival mechanism. That makes total sense to me. And then how do I, as a teacher of this body of work for so long, start to offer a place where someone can start to soften some of that hypervigilance and really start to tend and feel the safety of themselves? And that's timing. You know, that's that self-regulating piece of what's too much? When do I need to slow down? When do I need to back off? When do I need to stop? You know, when do I need to start to be in the direct experience again because I might be going off somewhere else, right? And it's learning. It's learning how to really be with yourself again in a safe and loving way. It's a tremendous place of healing and it takes time. And then there's people that I've worked with who have just been exercising their whole lives. So there's a lot of doing involved. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so it's, it's really about um, coaching them and, and teaching them exactly what we're talking about here. What's important? How, why is this work going to help you? Why is this work something that's worthwhile? And educating people as to what the body's made of, mostly water. We have fibers in the muscles that are spiraling. Why, if our movements were more spirillic, how might the outcome be? Because we're eating part of what we are, which is water. So it makes sense to me, but it's like educating people around that and seeing how it lands in them, right? So it's a process. I'm also just thinking about, you know, how each and every body is unique. 
you know, and, and it's been shaped by a completely unique set of experiences, emotions, perceptions, right? And so even how this information gets layered in your body, whether you are dealing with trauma, or whether you've managed to circumvent trauma and have less of it in your life, even negotiating these situations where, you know, especially the people who are coming to see you in one-on-one, it seems to me that there's so much of a individualized approach in that because even within your breadth of work and all the tools you have to pull from, there's going to be a very unique configuration for how to be able to find that path of least resistance, tap into that wellspring of resource that still lives within each and every body and find the most direct and effortless way into it to begin to feed that river and start to allow that fluidity to come back through the body in that really effortless and pleasurable manner. Exactly. It, it's, it's, it's interrupting the need to do something specific. And in that specific, you're trying to mold yourself in a certain way. And it's always built in the culture that we live in, the way that we see a body, the images that we see, right? That is really a place of reckoning of what a body really is, which is a biological expression on this planet we call Earth. So it's a very different way to feel yourself and be in yourself and live from. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I've i just been geeking out personally for, for a few years now, but especially in the last few months as I've been taking time to do a little research to, you know, feed my inner nerd on, on just how medically marvelous our bodies really are and how time and time again through media through you know everything in our world we've been conditioned to see our body as this thing that we have to beat into submission in many ways and so most people's relationship with it is this relationship of frustration they see their body as this thing that they're trying to tame or to control and it doesn't seem to want to obey and it feels difficult and and i always bring up this analogy that we are in relationship with our body, but it's a really unique relationship because we are completely enmeshed within it. There isn't really separation between us and our bodies. But if you were to look at you know, your relationship with perhaps a significant other and you saw those same patterns playing out, you know, like being frustrated, being angry, trying to control, trying to subvert, you know, you wouldn't expect that to be a fulfilling relationship. You wouldn't expect to feel happy with it. And yet we do that with our bodies. And then we're surprised that we're so dissatisfied with them, or we feel so hopeless and disenchanted. And meanwhile, like we're speaking about here, like you're so beautifully demonstrating with with looking into the neuroscience and even like the fluid pathways and the just that innate intelligence within the body, when you really start to look at that, rather than this illusion that we've been led to follow of the body as this meat sack that we need to control, when you tap into and as this incredibly intelligent, sophisticated organism that's here for you, loving you, supporting you, you know, thriving for you, always finding, you know, the way to help you express the most of yourself, the most of what you have to experience in your life. 
it's a total game changer when you can switch into that perception and and see the body from the true level of what it is without this sort of fractured guise that many of us have been bred to believe. Absolutely. You know, it comes out of advertising, I believe. It comes out of, you know, seeing a certain body and thinking that you have to look like that. Whenever you want to look like something, you lose a sense of yourself, of what you actually are. And it doesn't mean that you don't want to feel good about yourself. That's not what I'm saying, but it's from the where. It's from the where, right? To, to really drop into the deep wisdom that's always available. And that brings me to this idea that there are other more indigenous cultures that don't separate the body and the mind. There's actually, they're actually one thing. So if we look at the organism as one sweeping thing, the brain is part of the spinal column. The spinal column is has nerves that go out into the rest of us. And so it's all one sweeping thing. And you know, the, your heart is made out of 40% neural tissue. So when you say, I just had a sense of it in my heart, that's not necessarily wrong because your heart just doesn't pump blood. It's observing, it's, it's a sensory organ of perception. It takes in information in your environments all the time, both internal and external. So if it's met with a quality of that love experience, your heart health is going to go up because you're in a sense of loving kindness within yourself in how you're treating yourself and how you move in the practices that you choose to do. And that to me is a significant in terms of changing how we view ourselves as a culture. Well, I don't know if you're familiar with Heart Math Institute, but I'm obsessed with them. And I, I remember being so excited to discover that the heart releases its own field. So we're all aware of the fact that our bodies emit a field, but our heart actually emits its own unique electromagnetic field. And it's very different from the brain. And in fact, a lot of what HeartMath Institute studies is the fact that the heart has a much better ability to predict what's about to happen than our brain. So in many ways, our heart functions as the true driver for our decision-making process. And it's not so much our brain. Our brain is secondary to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there have been little tiny statements in the world that can point us in that direction, like just listen to your heart. That's such a, a broad overused statement, but it's so true because if we start listening to the quality of the heart in the places where we're meeting life, we'll get more information. And the same with the gut body. Like the gut body has been called the second brain. To me, I think it's the first brain. I think it's the first brain. And so you're getting in information coming through your, your digestive system that allows you to to sense and feel, can I assimilate this experience or not? And what is my gut response to these things? Yeah. Well, I mean, as we're talking, I'm just even thinking, like what you mentioned, thinking about the entire body as one, one 
cohesive piece and not even separating our brain from our body. But like when we think about it that way, that actually allows us to embrace all the signals we're getting from our body and to value them and register what they have to say and to act in service of them. You know, in this day and age, I notice this is the most common problem. And this is where people struggle with understanding their intuitive sensibilities. It's not that their intuition doesn't exist. It's that they've stopped listening to it. And your intuition lives within your entire being. So it might be that heart impulse. It might be that gut feeling. And when you've been silencing it or ignoring it, it leads to a real feeling of disconnection and confusion and sense of self in direction in life, you know, decision-making, all of these things that cause us increased stress or maybe kickstart our anxiety if, if we're not really tuning into the entire mechanism and allowing ourselves to hear and receive everything that it has to say. Well, you know, I want to I want to speak about that because that's a really interesting topic and it's big, but what I'll say is in order to learn about the body way long ago, medical people had to kind of cut it up. Like I want to learn what an arm is and I want to learn what the digestive system is. I want to learn about the heart. But what happened was they never put it back together again. So when you have a, a heart problem, you go to a cardiologist. When you have a stomach problem, you go to a gastroenterologist, right? There's all these specialty people that only deal with one thing, and they, they're, they're not looking at the whole in some ways, right? So if we think about movement as a whole, so it, it, and tracking the experience and expression of movement itself, like if you just turn your head and you start to track all the little nuances that your body has to make in order to do that movement, it's all the way down to your tailbone. There's lots of different little tiny changes that happen for you to move your head and to track that you start to become more alive in the experience of movement itself. And when you are more alive in movement itself, you start to align more fully with alignment itself. So I want to talk a little bit about that because that's a big buzzword in the yoga community. Yes, please right? talk about it some more. Alignment. Yeah. <laughs> so we are not a fixed state. I'm going to say that again. We're not a fixed state. We are something that is continually moving, shifting and changing. Okay. So to put ourselves in a fixed state, to fixate things is limiting. Okay. To point in a direction of movement and to learn about the movement as a whole like if I suggest to you to move your shoulder blade in a certain way and you're in an exploration of that, you're really tracking the whole experience of what that is. And if, in fact, it works for you and if, in fact, there are other sensations and other movements that start to become important to you around that shoulder movement that's outside of anything I could possibly tell you what to do. And then you start to listen to that. Like, for example, I can give you an example from my own experience. I had a cervical spine injury, which I mentioned earlier. A, um, I had a skiing accident. When I first started working in continuum, 
I was overly focused on wanting my cervical spine to get better. So I was looking for changes in my neck area, in my shoulder area. So I was overly focusing on that, right? And one day, my dear friend, who was also a continuum teacher, said to me, you know, what would it be like if you just focused on something else for a while? So I started drifting my attention down to my tailbone, to the, to the base of the spine, the sacrum, the pelvis. And I started really seeing that what was happening in my neck was actually really related to something that was going on in my lower spine and my pelvis. And when I started working there and in my legs and in my feet, lo and behold, sensations started trickling up into my neck and my head and my shoulders that completely opened what I was looking for when I was overly focusing on that part of the body. So I teach from that place all the time. Like if someone comes to me with an injury or a compromise or a what they call misalignment. You know, your body is always trying to keep your, you well, even in the places where you might not feel so good. Your body is really working on something. And to value and have reverence for that is really key to your, your holistic well-being, right? So it's not so much about making it go away. It's really about participating with what's going on. And seeing where I always look for where the space is in the body right at the get-go, not where the space is not. And then letting that spacious, more fluid way of movement and, and interaction start to have a conversation with the part that is more shut down and compressed and perhaps misaligned, right? And that, that what we talked about earlier about the gravity reaction force from, from the earth, it's the upside of gravity. That particular expression is your alignment teacher. It's participating with that feeling of the earth coming up into your body and it starts to find little places like, oh, this needs to drop and move this way. This needs to turn and shift that way. This needs to spiral this way. But it's not never an ending result because it's always changing. That's one of the challenges that we meet in more codified systems, systems that are very specific. It doesn't really look at the uniqueness of everyone. I often use the cue of, Open your legs three feet apart. Mm -hmm. If you're four foot two, you're going to be doing a split. <laughs> That's going to be a bit tough. And if you're six foot nine, you're just going to step back, right? Yeah. So it's relevant to the person that's doing it, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So suggesting movement with questions allows people to be in the inquiry of their own intuition. Should I go here? Should I not go here? What am I feeling when I'm here? Do I need to make a self-adjustment? Do I need to make a self-adjustment? Do I need to not do this at all today? Do I need to go in a completely new direction? Somewhere where I've never gone before, but it feels like the right place to be. That's intuition. Intuition. I wrote down in my notes, 
what intuition is from the Webster Dictionary. So it's the ability to understand something immediately without the need for conscious reasoning. So what that sounds like to me, conscious reasoning is that cognitive ceiling that we're trying to like navigate it through thinking where intuition is more of a felt sense and it's, an, and it's immediate. It's an understanding that we have that is immediate. And when you spoke earlier about people aren't listening to that, it is still down in there. If we just start to uncover it and get a little quieter in the thinking part of ourselves, we start to hear the voice of intu intuition, which is sensory mm -hmm. in its nature. Yeah. I and love then you get words. It's immediate. It's immediate. immediate. It's immediate. You know, boom. However, then the mind gets in the way. Well, is this, is this, maybe I should do what they're telling me to do. Maybe I should just force myself to put my leg over here. Even though your intuition is going, no, don't do it. Not good. <laughs> put your leg over here, you know? And what that does is it keeps the authority figure outwardly. So it's like a one-upmanship. It's like they know better than you. And in Continuum of Yoga, I am never the expert. The expert is the person who starts to really swim in their own experience. That's where the true teacher is, is in the experience of the person. I offer containers. I offer ideas. I offer little sequences of getting you in the territory of something that we might be exploring. But the the real exploration is something that starts to occur in the person. And I, I value anything that they have to say or want to do. So I'm not going to say, no, that's not a good idea because it might be. Yeah. Well, you know, something that I feel so strongly about with intuition is it's the more we cultivate a relationship with our intuition, we are actually building our awareness of our autonomy, of our authority. And through that, we can truly live in our authenticity. And, you know, honestly, if you look at anything anyone is pursuing, it is usually around these concepts of wanting to feel emboldened as who they are and free to be who they are. But that takes practice, right? Learning to respond to those signals of intuition. You know, I've spent decades learning how to lean into that in my own body. And my more recent work has been carrying that forward in life. You know, even in the midst of a workday, when I have admin work to do at a computer, if I get the impulse that I need to get up and get outside, not to intellectualize or rationalize my way out of that. Or if I feel like I should lay down and I, I still have a ton of things on my to-do list, lay down, follow the immediate impulse. And the better I get at following it and not questioning it and meeting it the second it arises, that's where I've been able to experience really tapping into that all-powerful flow of things clicking into place in almost magical ways, uh, not just in how I feel in my body, but watching those clicks happen in my relationship with other people, with opportunities coming up for me, anything you can imagine sort of starts to play into this dynamic. 
Well, I think, Marie, you're speaking of self-agency. It's about really knowing something inside of yourself for and with yourself. And having self-agency brings you more present into the world with everything else around you. So I think that's beautiful. And, you know, one of the things that people don't realize is if you have a sense to lie down and if you just lay down and just get in touch with your body, do a little gravity surfing, which is what I call it, see what wants to move to free up that fluid expression. You could do this from 10 minutes to four days, from 40 days to four minutes, and something shifts in your relationship with yourself. And then when you come back to whatever it is you're doing, you're gonna just naturally feel better because you lived into your impulse that your body needed something else besides standing, sitting in front of a computer screen. I mean, the computer screen is, a, is, a, is another animal that we're facing in the modern world of how to navigate, and especially in the time of COVID-19, where so many of us are online right now. I mean, for me, I'm teaching online. That's all I'm doing. So I'm sure you are doing similar. So it's, it's really, how do we navigate that? And the breaks of just coming back to the biological organism outside of technology and modernism is the way. Because your body needs to be outside. It needs to touch its experience of nature. It needs to connect with the earth and the sky and the, and the fluid of, of what's happening. I have a river a block away from my house. I don't think that I would survive if I didn't have that river because I visit it almost every day and really with the river. What's happening in the river today? What's going on there? Is it low tide? Is it high tide? Where are the beings, the birds, the this, the that? Is it icy? Is there currents? Is there waves? What's happening? And then I start to connect with that part of myself. And then, and then I have this deep way of experiencing myself that feels very meaningful. I love that, like connecting with the river and also like where we started this conversation, you know, being 70% water, like allowing yourself to witness and really feel into that water body, and then recognize yourself as a water body and feel the communion and partnership in that. It's really beautiful. Absolutely, Marie. Thank you so much. I feel so inspired by your inquiries and what you're doing with with your work. And to be a person who is younger than me, that's very inspiring. Oh, so keep you. at it. <laughs> I, I've been so uplifted and inspired by this conversation, by our connection. It's it's so beautiful to, to hear somebody of your expertise and like all of your teaching and understanding and experience really speaking to these principles that I've been finding to be so powerful in my life and in my work and and to hear that you've been using these principles and been creating such tremendous change and and your ability to speak so clearly and poetically about it is is just beautiful. So I'm so excited that you were able to come on and share your wisdom and your insights with us all. I know I'm walking away so enriched from this and I'm sure everyone else is as well. Thank you so much, Marie. And I feel the same way about you.
So thank you. Healing is mutual. (laughs) I hope to be on again. And until we meet again, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for coming on with us. Thank you for tuning in with us today. You can find contact information and all references made during the show in the show notes. If you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and spread the love by sharing with family and friends. If you want to learn more or would like additional support in your movement relationship, head to our website at evolna.com. Be gentle, be generous, and be good to yourself. And have a beautiful day.